0: Beloved, our call to worship this evening is from Isaiah 45, verse 18 through 20a. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. Scripture reading for this evening you can find in the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, But we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, beloved, just as we did last Sunday morning as we walked through Romans 4, I promised you that tonight we would walk through Romans 5, and so I'm not going to isolate any particular verse tonight, but do keep your Bibles open as we walk through this important chapter. And it just so happens in God's providence that we commemorate Reformation Day today, what happened In the early 16th century, as Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, echoes of which we have even today. And one of the key doctrines that Martin Luther recovered or rediscovered was the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone why did that matter why did it matter that martin luther had rediscovered that doctrine i think we're familiar with the doctrine itself but it's helpful to understand against it's helpful to understand it against the backdrop of roman catholic theology rome has taught and still teaches that justification happens in different stages cornelius venema in his recent article in table talk summarizes the roman catholic teaching that justification begins at baptism that's the first justification and then justification is subsequently increased Through the believer's cooperation with God's grace imparted through the seven sacraments. Did you hear that? Justification is increased. It's enhanced through the believer's cooperation with God's grace imparted through participation in the seven sacraments. This is the second level of Rome's teaching on justification. It begins at baptism, it's enhanced, it's increased through the believer's cooperation with God. However, justification is only completed and final at the final judgment after a period of purification in purgatory. This is final justification as Rome teaches. So three stages... Baptism, cooperation with God in the sacraments, and then in the final judgment after a period of purification in purgatory. And so it mattered that Luther rediscovered the free gift of justification, the declaration of God. The act of God's free grace, as the Westminster Catechism says, by which God freely forgives our sins and receives us again. Justification mattered in the time of the Reformation, but it also matters in our day. You say, well, Rome doesn't matter so much anymore. Rome's receded into the background. We now have a Reformed church. We can can protect this doctrine. Well, it also matters in our day because the error of Rome has been repackaged. It's been recycled and resold within Protestantism under what's called the new perspective on Paul. The new perspective on Paul. And you'll hear echoes of, of something similar. The new perspective on Paul teaches this. That a believer gets into the covenant community by grace. But a believer stays in and is ultimately vindicated by their works. They're justified by their works. The new perspective on Paul teaches our future justification will be on the basis of a lifetime of faithfulness. Justification pronounced in the final judgment will be granted only to those who have maintained their justification by persevering in obedience. In the new perspective of Paul, we have the echoes of Rome. What do these errors do? What does the Roman Catholic error do? What does this Protestant error of the new perspective of Paul on Paul do? They strike at the heart of the gospel. They, they teach that the work of Christ is insufficient to count as a believer's righteousness before God once and for all. Justification happens once. When a believer is regenerated and believes in Christ, a, a sinner is justified once for all, denies the free grace and mercy of God in declaring sinners right before God. These errors attribute far too much to man's ability to maintain his own justification. In fact, man cannot maintain his justification because justification is an act of God's free grace by which he declares a sinner righteous. A sinner has nothing to do in maintaining his justification. These errors fall back on works. That man can contribute something to his own salvation or contribute all to his own salvation. These errors minimize Adam's sin and its consequences as the representative of the human race. It minimizes the power of the atoning sacrifice of Christ as the representative of all believers. And last but not least, it leaves a person with uncertainty as to how God receives sinners. By leaving it up to man to maintain his justification. Children, I'm sure you remember well the stories of Martin Luther. How he was seeking God's favor. And how did he seek God's favor? It wasn't by running for refuge to the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther whipped himself. Martin Luther fasted. Martin Luther went to Rome. He bloodied his knees as he he went up the steps of the Roman cathedrals. He thought he could earn his way to God. He paid money for indulgences to shorten his time in in purgatory so that he could be justified finally. He lived in constant fear. He lived in constant uncertainty until he learned this truth. The just shall live by faith in Christ alone. Luther rediscovered the free gift of justification. That's what we want to consider tonight from Romans 5. The free gift justification. First of all, we want to see its benefits tonight. As we turn to Romans 5, we find that Paul is very keen to highlight the benefits of justification. As he highlights the benefits of justification, he highlights that justification is certain. It's sure for those who find refuge in Christ. Last time we considered Romans 4, where he argued that Abraham was, was justified by faith when he was yet uncircumcised, proving that his religious pedigree, his, his lack of circumcision or his, his circumcision was not the grounds for justification at all. But only his faith in the promise, in the power, in the performance of God, in the, the promise of the coming Lord Jesus Christ, the coming righteousness of Abraham was in reality his righteousness before God. Paul then goes on to show that justification was not just for Abraham but it was also for us to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Paul demonstrates here that justification is freely available to sinners. It's an act of God's free grace for both Jew and Gentile, for the religious and non-religious, through the sheer mercy and grace of God. Then in Romans 5 we read these words, therefore being justified by faith. Paul turns to the so what of justification. Justification. What happens when a believer is justified? What does a believer receive when they are justified? What do you receive when you believe into Christ? Well, there are a number of benefits that Paul brings forward to highlight the certainty of justification and what we receive. These benefits highlight the security of justification. That it doesn't hinge on your and my performance tonight, but it hinges on the sacrifice of Christ. Each of these benefits brings us back to Christ. And if Christ's sacrifice will not fail before the Father, as the only ground by which a sinner is declared righteous, then your justification, believer, will not fail. It is sure, once, all the way to eternity, into the final judgment and beyond eternally secure. Because in the first place, we have a Christ-centered peace with God. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a comfort and certainty that is tonight, isn't it, for a believer? You no longer have to wonder whether there is Peace between you and God? Whether God is favorably disposed to you to receive you or not? No, Paul says, therefore, being justified, we have this peace with God. Peace that is outside of us. The cross reconciles sinners with God. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the blood of Christ reconciles sinners to God and brings this peace, the peace of reconciliation. The hostility that existed between a sinner and God because of our sin is removed. The justifying grace of God through his free gift of justification, the wrath of God is removed. From against us. Jesus is our peace. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14. And so you see that when we get this benefit of peace. It's not just an inner feeling of peace. But it's Christ who is our peace. So our justification rests on Christ. When we are justified by faith we receive Christ. Christ. As our peace. And because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, we also have a Christ-centered access before God. Verse 2, Paul says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. So it's not just the hostility that's removed. It's not just peace that's established between a sinner and God. We have access to God now through Christ. He's also our access. It's on the basis of His obedience, on the basis of His righteousness, that we can now come before God. Children, what did God place at the garden, the entrance of the Garden of Eden? An angel, wasn't it? An angel with a sword of flaming fire that barred the entrance back into the place of fellowship and communion with God. Access to God was barred because of Adam's sin. But now, when a sinner is justified by faith in Christ, by believing into Christ, that access is now again open. There is a way back to God. The sinner is given access to God through Christ. We don't need Mary. We don't need other saints because we have Christ who is our access, our full and free, unfettered access. The flaming sword has been removed and the scepter of mercy is extended in Christ. The access, the door is open tonight for sinners to come. This is what believers have. Access to God by faith and to this grace, this unmerited favor by which God receives us, in which we stand. Implies solidity, implies certainty in which we stand. Not in which we slide away. Not in which we have to claw our way back up. Maybe we can reach it and and sit on our knees and hopefully find some stability there. No, our feet are firmly planted in that axis by which we have in Christ to God by grace. speaks of restored fellowship and communion through the unmerited favor of God. And then two, there is Christ-centered rejoicing in God. Paul moves from access to God to rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, he says in verse 2. This grace when we stand and and rejoice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is Paul saying there? It's as if he's extending his thoughts into eternity. He's, He's looking ahead. He's projecting what our justification will do for us in glory, for a believer in glory. Hope conveys certainty. Hope is not the way we often speak of hope and we say, well, I hope so, implying that it could be or could not happen. The scriptural concept of hope is certain. A present faith in Christ is also anchored in the future in the fact that a believer will one day stand before God without sin, fully remade into the glorious image of God. That's what Paul is referring to here. We rejoice in hope, in the certainty of the glory of God. The glory of God, of course, as you know, was was revealed in Christ, as John says in the beginning of his gospel. That Christ came as the glory of God. That glory is reflected through believers and in believers. That glory will fully be realized in heaven. And we stand before God in the final judgment. It's not that our justification will be fully and finally realized then. As if God still has something to say in terms of our standing with him. This is what Paul is rejoicing in, in Christ. The glory of God will be fully revealed in every single believer then. That's what justification ensures now in the present. No longer a sinner in glory, but a saint. This is what you have to look forward to, believer. Hope. Certainty. Not a maybe or an if. If. But we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. It provides a, a thrill of joy to know that this mortal will put on immortality. This, this corruption will put on incorruption. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ as He is, as, as John says in his epistle. First John 3. Justification provides this rock-solid hope for every justified sinner. We don't have to walk in uncertainty now and hope that God will justify us after a period of time in purgatory and purification. No. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Certainty. Is this what you're rejoicing in as a result of your justification in Christ? Why do you say tonight? Well, that seems so far off. It seems so unrealistic. seems so contrary to what I'm experiencing now. I'm suffering. I'm going through trials. Listen. Listen to what Paul says in the next verse. Verses 3 and 4. And not only so, we not only rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. Justification ensures that we will reach the fulfillment of this hope. Even when we can't necessarily rejoice in that hope. When the, when the going is tough. When, when we're in the midst of trials. When we're facing temptations that will not let us go. When we're facing our doubts and our fears. Will we make it? Will God receive me? Well, the Word of God helps us tonight to understand that when we suffer and experience trials... These trials are there to help us to work endurance in our lives. Spiritual endurance. Like a runner running a race, he endures until the end. In the midst of tribulations, we're called to look up, to be reminded of the hope that is coming, that is certain and that is sure. It guides us through The afflictions. It guides us through the tribulations. Our faith is tested, yes. And when it's tested, it endures. We persevere by the grace of God. When a justified sinner endures, and that endurance works experience, spiritual experience. Not some ethereal and mystical experience. What this word is referring to it is really the result of being tested. We gain spiritual experience. We know that our faith is being tested. And when our faith is being tested, we know where to turn. We know where to run. We we run to the Father who is testing us, who is disciplining us, who is chastising us, recognizing that he's doing it for our profit to confirm for us that we are sons of God. We're learning that our tribulations, that our our testings, that our trials, that our temptations serve to confirm our justification. That neither our worst day nor our best day can change our status before God and how He receives us because it's based upon Christ. And so as we're tested, as we endure, we gain experience. Think of it this way. When a person begins to learn a trade, they're inexperienced, aren't they? They go to school to learn a trade, to learn the theory behind the trade, to learn specific skills they learn while they're on the job. They gain mastery of of the trade that they're going to learn. Over time, they gain experience through trial and error Through all the things that they're learning, they're being tested at certain points along the way, they endure in learning, they gain experience. So too a believer learns this through tribulation. And as they gain that experience, they learn to, to look with hope, with certainty to what is coming. So we learn to glory in our tribulation, knowing that God is is working these things for good. It moves us ahead to Romans 8, doesn't it? That God works all things for good to those who are the called according to His purpose. We glory in our tribulation because that tribulation brings us back to refocus on the hope that is coming. And so God uses those tribulations, those trials to mature us in our understanding of our justification. So don't lose heart tonight, believer. If you can't rejoice in hope, rejoice and glory in your tribulation, knowing that God is working it for your good. To bring you back to the point where you can, by God's grace, rejoice in hope of the glory of God and the prospect of being whole and remade into the image of Christ. Justification benefits us in the midst of trial and tribulation, brings Christ close to us. So we come to the one who is our hope, anchored beyond the veil as Hebrews 9, 6.19 says. This hope will not make us ashamed, Paul says, in verse 5. Because, he says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. This hope brings a justified sinner to the enjoyment of the Spirit-shed love of God in our hearts. Again, it conveys certainty. The love of God has found entrance into the the hearts of sinners as a result of justification. Therefore, being justified, we have this love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's there. The love of God is revealed in Christ, poured into the hearts of those who are justified, shed abroad, indicates generosity. The generosity of God We not only receive the love of God in our hearts, we receive the Holy Spirit who indwells us and sheds that love, reminds us of that love, brings us to that love again and again and again. And so the hope of a believer tonight rests upon the work of the triune God and the work of justification. God justifies sinners On the basis of what Christ has done. And who Christ is. And the love of God is shed in our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit. Beloved the free gift of justification. Has an unshakable foundation. Because of these Christ centered benefits. We need to understand. That we not only get these benefits. We get Christ. We get the whole Christ don't we? Everything that Christ is. We receive in justification. But some of you are not justified. Some of you are not living by faith. Some of you are still trying to work your way back into God's favor through what you can do. In His mercy, God points you back To the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Point you back to the grace of God. By which he justifies sinners. By which he forgives sinners. And receives them back into fellowship with him. On the basis of what Christ has done. And that's where you need to be tonight. To repent of your sin. To repent of your dead works. And to serve the living God. To run to Christ. To be sheltered in him and what he gives. In justification. Don't rest short of that tonight. It's apart from Christ. There's only death, as we'll learn later. But justification has an unshakable foundation because of its basis. Justification is not tied to any work of man or effort of man. It rests solely on the finished work of Christ. In Verses 6 through 8, we have a beautiful statement of the death of Christ in relation to our Justification the timing of the death of Christ. If we go back to Romans 4, when was Abraham justified? When he was uncircumcised, when he was still an Ur of the Chaldees. God called him from a life of sin and unbelief to a life of faith and the promise of the coming Messiah. That's where God found him. That's where God justified him. Paul draws that line all the way through to Romans 5 now. And he's, he's saying this. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure. Perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. Some of us might be willing to die for a spouse, for a child, for a friend. Maybe. But the love of God is contrasted with that. But God commendeth, God proves his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Justification rests upon the death of Christ. You and I can't contribute anything to our justification. The Scriptures do not say to us tonight, only when you work sufficiently does the death of Christ account for you and apply to you. No. The death of Christ is for sinners who cannot find any life in themselves tonight. That's the reality that Paul is, is teaching here, that the Scriptures are teaching, that we are hearing through the preaching of the gospel. The point is hopeful because of the death of Christ, that alone is the basis for justification, for right standing with God, both now and in eternity. An unshakable basis because the death of Christ is the only death that can atone for sin. That's where Paul moves in the next step of his argument to show us the purpose of the death of Christ. Not just the timing of it, that it's for sinners who have no hope in themselves. But he goes on to show how the death of Christ and the shedding of His blood not only serves to justify a sinner, but when a sinner is justified, he's also saved from the wrath of God. Brings us back to what we considered in the first point, the benefit of peace and access. The wrath of God is removed Verse 9, much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, so often we think that we have to improve ourselves before God can justify us. We're functional Roman Catholics, in our theology. We adhere to the new perspective of Paul in our thinking when we think that we have to improve ourselves first. It's an error that flies in the face of the free gift of justification. It's for sinners. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Friends don't need to be reconciled, do they? It's those who are enemies that need to be reconciled. That's what God does in the gospel, in justification. He reconciles sinners, enemies to himself on the basis of the death of Christ. But Paul says more. Much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In a state of reconciliation, we'll be saved by his life, by the life of Christ. So the death of Christ justifies, the life of Christ justifies as well, brings us all the way to heaven. No more wrath, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No wrath in the present, no wrath in the future. A believer, a justified sinner, is eternally secure because it was once for all justification through Christ. So you no longer have to live in fear. You no longer have to wonder whether God will accept sinners. You don't have to relate to God based on what you do. You don't have to ask the questions, will God really accept me? Does God really love me? How can He love me? Here's the answer, beloved. God proved His love to us. In that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if He reconciled us as His enemies, and if we're reconciled, we will enjoy eternal life as well. He'll bring us all the way home. There's reconciliation in the present. Justification brings us into fellowship with God. Present realities, future hope speaks of the security and certainty of a justified sinner in Christ. No undoing of justification because Christ's death has secured it. In the final judgment, there will be no undoing of justification for those who believe in Christ. Our justification will be fully realized. What God proclaims in the present, as we heard last week from the Catechism, that God looks upon us through his son as if we had had no sin or ever committed any sin. That's God's declaration on us in the present. That will be our fullest experience in the future, in glory. And so, what should our response be to this? It should be joy, Paul says, joy in God. For saved through the life of Christ, we have every reason to be joyful in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. If you break down that word, atonement, it reads this way, at one-ment. The blood of Christ brings us into union with Christ, brings us into a reconciled state with God. We are made one with God again. We joy in the God who gave his own son so that we might be justified in his sight once for all, for all time. We don't have to live with this, with this uncertainty for the next stage. No, justification is once in time. Though the benefits will be realized over time and in fullness and eternity. It's certain, it is sure because of its basis, but it's also certain and sure because of its benefactor. We'll see that briefly in our last thought. Well, where does this free gift of justification come from? Paul, in the last verses of this chapter, 12 through 21, draws a stark contrast between two people between Adam on the one hand and Christ on the other and as he does so he he exalts Christ as the sole benefactor as the sole one who gives this justification the one who has secured it the one who gives it its certainty the contrast is stark It cuts off man's contribution to justification. Even in the maintenance of that justification, it's not we who maintain our justification. It is sovereign, one sided grace by which God declares a sinner righteous in which we have no contribution except our sin through Adam. That's what he's pointing out here. Adam's contribution, what we receive from Adam, is sin and death. Verse 12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam sinned. As a result, every single human being born after him has inherited his sin, what we call the imputation of Adam's sin. His sin was reckoned to us. Were counted as sinners, guilty because of Adam's sin. We inherit death from Adam. Verses thirteen and fourteen, Paul shows that the law, both the verbal law spoken to Adam in the garden, you can eat from every tree of the garden, but of this one tree, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The day you eat it. Eat of it, you shall surely die. That was the the verbal, spoken law to Adam that God gave to him. Then there was the written law to Moses. Both of them serve to point out the guilt and penalty of sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. There is absolutely no hope in these statements, is therefore man's contribution to justification. If you and I are sinners because of Adam's original sin, then there's no way. There's absolutely no way that we can justify ourselves. That is the reality that the gospel proclaims Tonight, nothing you do, nothing you experience can move the needle of God's favor towards you. Sometimes we go back to the Adamic nature, don't we? We say, if I can only do this, then then God will accept me. If I experience this, then surely He will Remember, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God doesn't reconcile those who try to better themselves. God reconciles enemies with himself, He reconciles sinners with himself. We're in dire straits. Under the guilt and the condemnation and the death that we've inherited from Adam. Through his disobedience. But the hope breaks through, doesn't it? And this is where the contrast begins. The end of verse 14. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Adam was a figure of Christ. He was pointing to Christ. Let's highlight that contrast from the following verses. In verse 15, Paul contrasts the offense, that is sin, and the free gift, which is grace. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which was by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. No hope in Adam, but there is hope in Christ, through which we receive the free gift of of justification. Is a gift earned? No. If it was earned, then it would be payment. It would no longer be a gift, would it? Just as Adam sinned and many are dead, as a result, spiritually dead, just so the grace of God and justification through Christ abounds to many, the contrast is that Adam brings death, but Christ brings life. In verse 16, the contrast is that Adam's sin and consequent judgment bring condemnation. That's all Adam brings to us. But the free gift means that Christ's righteousness removes the offense, he covers over the sin that we've committed against him in justification, covers them with his blood. Holy covered before the sight of God, as we just sang. Verses 17 and 18, the contrast is between the death that Adam introduced as a result of his sin and the life that Christ brings in through his own person, through his obedience, through his work on the cross, through his justifying grace. Verse 19, the contrast is between Adam's disobedience, which constitutes us as sinners, But through Christ's obedience and by faith in Christ, we are constituted as righteous, declared righteous by God himself. Verses 20 and 21. The contrast is between the function of the law and aggravating and convicting of sin. And that of grace prevailing to overcome sin and bring eternal life through Jesus Christ. So where does justification come from? From whom does it flow? Not from Adam. Not from me. Not from you. But from Christ. And that makes justification certain. Because he has accomplished it in his death, in his resurrection. And this contrast brings profound comfort for believers, for those who run to Christ even tonight. There's the comfort of knowing that justification by faith alone in Christ alone proclaims the gospel of done. It proclaims the gospel of done. You no longer have to live in the uncertainty of trying to earn your own salvation. You no longer have to live in the uncertainty. Will God receive me? Remember, he reconciles sinners. Reconciles enemies. Nothing that you and I can add to the work of Christ. In fact, if we try to add anything, all we do is detract from the work of Christ. No matter how we try in our own false way of thinking, try to beautify the work of Christ, we can't. What God proclaims to us tonight is a gospel of done. And He calls us to receive that by faith. He calls us to rest there again. We have the certainty of our justification. We don't have to maintain it because it's already done in Christ for those who trust in him. There's the comfort of knowing that Christ alone holds eternal life. There's no one better to run to this evening than Christ. I trust that all hope has been cut off for you in yourself your hope is now tied to Christ alone for salvation he's the second adam you see the perfect adam the obedient adam the righteous adam he is the one in whom the sons of the first adam can find life for death find reconciliation instead of condemnation and separation can find perfect obedience for our disobedience can find perfect righteousness for our unrighteousness as paul says in second corinthians 5:21 he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we might be made the righteousness of god in him Christ alone holds eternal life. Run to Him and be safe and secure. There's the comfort of knowing that our justification is finally and fully secure. We have believed in Christ. That's highlighted in these last verses here. Sin has reigned unto death. Even so, might grace reign Through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a note of victory there, isn't there? Victory. Victory in Jesus. Grace reigns. Grace rules through righteousness unto eternal life. Grace has the upper hand in the life of a justified sinner will bring us into the fullness of the enjoyment of what justification declares now in the present. What rest there is to be found tonight. Not just in a doctrine, but in the God who justifies. In the Christ who has given his all for enemies and for sinners. So in the midst of our own insecurities, in the midst of our own doubts and fears, we might come and rest in the triune God alone for salvation. So we can rejoice in hope of the glory of God, that we can glory in our tribulations. Knowing that one day, We don't have to go through purgatory first, but what God declares now will be fully realized in our experience in glory. So don't turn to your works. Don't turn to anything else but Christ, for only then is He truly glorified. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for the gospel. We thank Thee for the free gift of justification. That we do not need to live with uncertainty. That we do not need to maintain our own justification. Indeed, that we cannot even maintain it. That it is maintained by Christ. Even in the midst of tribulations and trials and temptations. For as we experience those things, it brings us back to hope, to certainty. Lord, grant us that again through the Word. So often we lose focus, O Lord. We lose focus on the foundation of what it is by which we are accepted before Thee. Help us to see that it's only the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, by which we are reconciled. To the life of Christ, by which we will enjoy eternal life ourselves. Help us to live in the certainty of what thou hast declared in justification. That our questions would cease, that our doubts would be stilled, that our fears would be banished the sight of the one who has given himself for enemies. Oh, how we thank thee for Christ tonight, the one who is our hope, the second Adam, who succeeded where the first Adam failed. Lord, we pray that thou wilt hear us, that thou wilt continue to work in our hearts, in the hearts of the lost tonight, to bring them to faith in this glorious Savior whom thou hast set before us tonight.